the passage we are going to be looking at uh, for today's sermon is Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 16 and uh, Daph is going to help read, uh, read the passage out for us. Thank you Daph. Seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God's word. Amen. Thank you, Daph. Uh, in this sermon series, we've been learning to celebrate work as a gift from God. Uh, we're also learning to recognize our sinful inclinations to abuse work, to take a completely self-centered view of work. At New City, we keep saying this, we, we must celebrate the careers that God has given us, but we must never be consumed by it. Uh, to begin with this morning, I'd like to focus on the second part of the passage that we read. Jesus said that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I'd like to draw three things for us from this. To begin with, I want to look at what does it really mean to be salt and light? Second, taking stock of our own lives as to how much we're living as salt and light. And third, growing in being salt and light. What does it really mean to be salt and light? Taking stock of our own lives, how we're faring as salt and light, and how can we grow in being salt and light? Those are three things we want to look at this morning. Let's start with the first thing. What does it really mean to be salt and light? This, of course, is uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is a very familiar passage of the Bible. Whenever any disciple of Jesus thinks about his life outside of the church, this is probably the first verse that comes to mind, salt 
and light. Uh, the problem with familiarity is it sometimes uh, does build a certain uh, ignorance, uh, perhaps even indifference. And so I'm assuming we all know, those of us who are followers of Jesus, uh, we all know uh, the broad meaning of what this means. Uh, but perhaps we're missing out on, on the full depth and, and the nuances that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. And that's what I want to start off by looking at. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. What does it really mean to be the salt of the earth? More importantly, what did Jesus have in mind when he said you are the salt of the earth? Uh, in our modern world today, we, we recognize salt as something that uh, adds taste to food. And that's probably the only attribute we tend to think of. But in Jesus' time, salt also had another very important function. Salt was a preservative. So when you rubbed salt on meat, it would prevent decay. And people could store the meat for a longer time. Uh, in those days, of course, there were, there were no refrigerators in people's homes and no cold storage. Uh, and the only way to preserve meat and many kinds of food uh, was to actually use salt. And uh, the mountain that Jesus preached the sermon, it's very famously called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the portion of the passage we read, uh, where he preached, the mountain he preached from, was not too far from the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the Sea of Galilee had a lot of fishermen. And when Jesus was actually preaching the sermon and he was telling people, you are the salt of the earth, uh, I would imagine these people would have, would have got the aroma of, or the smell, I don't know if you can call it the aroma, of fish being salted by the sea, catch being salted. They, they, they would have got that. And, and the moment Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, they would have made the preservative connection. We, we take longer. We tend to look at more as uh, the taste. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, a pastor, he puts it this way. Salt brings out the best in meat and it prevents the worst. That's what salt does. Salt brings out the best out of everything. It draws the best flavor out of everything. So salt enhances the good tendencies in anything and salt minimizes the bad tendencies in anything. So it draws out the taste of meat and it prevents the meat from decaying. Now, if, if you're a vegetarian, I'm really sorry for using only meat uh, analogies, but I guess it applies to all food as well, because I think pickles are, are salted and they never go bad. So I think the principle holds. So salt brings out the best in food and it minimize, minimizes the, the, the bad in food. And like salt, all of us as disciples of Jesus Christ are called to draw out the goodness in every city and in every company that we work for and every profession and every neighborhood. We're called to draw the goodness of it. And we're also called to prevent the bad tendencies, the wrong tendencies that exist in every city, profession, and neighborhood. So to be salt is to draw out and maximize the goodness in the world around us. And also to rein in, to hold back the negative tendencies of decaying 
that is there in the world around us. There's another attribute of salt that we, we often overlook. You know, I'm, I'm sure we've all watched cooking shows. Uh, remember the last time the chef presented a, an amazing dish and somebody tasted it and I saw the dish first and they said, wow, the salt looks so good in the dish. Have you ever heard that said? Never. Why not? Because the salt in the dish is never seen. It is hidden. Salt is always working behind the scenes. But salt is what brings out the flavor in, in the dish. Or, or when someone tastes the dish in, in any of these shows, have you, um, often, have you ever heard them say, wow, the salt in the dish tastes so good? Nobody ever says that. They says meats taste good. The, the vegetables taste good. The gravy tastes good. Salt is always hidden. Salt always works quietly behind the scenes. We think of salt only when there is no salt in the dish. We miss the salt or when there's too much salt, of course. So to be salt is to bring out the goodness in any culture and reduce its wickedness by working quietly and silently behind the scenes. This is the call on every disciple of Christ Jesus. That's salt. What about light? You are the light of the world, Jesus said. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's from the passage we read. Unlike salt, light is never meant to be hidden or behind the scenes. Light is most useful when everybody sees it. And the word light here has a very specific meaning. It means the light that leads other people to God and to the righteousness of God. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The light this passage is talking about is public faith. Publicly and appropriately acknowledging and even proclaiming appropriately. Proclaiming our faith in Christ Jesus. We are all called to be bold and public about our faith in Christ Jesus. Unless we are public about our faith, how on earth are people going to see our good works and glorify God? So that's light. It's kind of contradictory, isn't it? We're going to put this all together. What does it mean to be salt and light together? Have you ever thought of it? Salt and light is a, it's a really odd combination. It's not like bread and butter, right? That, that goes together. Or samosa and chai, that goes together. Or, or pizza and coke. Uh, we never think of salt and light like that. They're not two things that generally go together. So, so what did Jesus have in mind when he said salt and light in, in the same paradigm? To be salt is to be hidden behind the scenes in Christ-like selfless service. To be light is to be bold and public about our faith in Christ Jesus. So to be salt and light is to quietly preserve and boldly proclaim. 
quietly preserve and boldly proclaim. That's what it means to be salt and light. We have to do a lot of work quietly, behind the scenes, diligently, faithfully, joyfully, and above all, sacrificially. Not always drawing attention to ourselves, not boasting, not grabbing credit, not being hyper-competitive. And and be quiet in our work, be quiet in our service, and yet be bold and public about our faith in Christ Jesus. Quietly preserve and boldly proclaim. That's the first thing I wanted to draw out for us from the passage. What does it really mean to be salt and light? The second thing I want to look at is, is just taking stock of are we really, how much are we really living as salt and light? And so based on the considered understanding that we've looked at so far, I'm going to lead us through, I'm hoping to lead us through three questions. Three questions that I'm going to reflect upon and hopefully that's going to uh, lead you to deeper reflection on your own as well. Three questions. First, are we drawing out the good and confronting the bad in our line of work? Are we drawing out the good and confronting the bad in your your profession, in your career, in the company that you work for, in the business that you run? Every, Every profession has goodness in it. Every profession reflects the creator God and his call to work. And in the renewal of interviews that we've been doing, we've been seeing goodness come forth in every profession uh, that's that's been discussed. And each of us as disciples of Christ, I am sure we will be quick to recognize the goodness in our line of work. Uh, We will be quick to appreciate it. And I hope we're also quick to enjoy the goodness in our line of work. How much are we prepared to lovingly confront and challenge the bad things that exist in every one of our work? Take excellence. Uh, All of us want to be excellent. Every company wants to be excellent. Every organization wants to be excellent. Every not-for-profit wants to be excellent. And this excellence, of course, mirrors the excellence of God. It mirrors the perfection that was there in this world before sin entered it. In a sense, the desire for excellence that we all feel in our work is actually a longing, a deep soul longing to go back to the world as it was before sin messed it up. And so we must celebrate excellence. It's a good thing. It's a godly thing. We must all be excellent in whatever it is that God has called us to do, whether it's a public career or even work in our home as as homemakers. But in the companies that we work for, the pursuit of excellence can often take an ugly turn and lead to long and unsustainable and unhealthy and exploitative work hours that harm an individual's health and well-being of our families. As much as we enjoy the excellence and the goodness that comes of it, are we ready to lovingly and respectfully confront this tendency in our professions to decay? Because if if you keep working 20 hours a day and if everyone in your company works 20 hours a day, that's going to lead to decay at some point 
in time. So if we are indeed salt, we must draw out the good, enjoy the good, partake in the good, but we must also confront the bad in our line of work. If we only want to add taste by participating in it, if we only want to add flavor, but we don't want to preserve it by confronting the negative bad things, bad traits in our professions, we, um, that's, that's not a good place to be in as disciples of Jesus. Think about it. Think, think about your career. Think about your work, the business you run or, or the NGO that you're part of. Aren't we all eager? Aren't we all uh, keen to, to celebrate and partake in, in the good things in our line of work? but hesitant and afraid and reluctant to to lovingly confront and correct what is bad. As disciples of Jesus, we cannot shrink back from this. If we never confront, if we never try and correct what's wrong, over time, we will lose our saltiness. And Jesus wants us that salt that loses its saltiness is, is just thrown away. That's the first question. Are we celebrating the good and yet confronting the bad in our line of work? The second uh, question for reflection is, are we being both quiet and bold? Being quiet means to to serve someone else at at your expense. Being quiet means not constantly uh, being desperate to have your work noticed. Uh, Being quiet means to serve others just as Christ did. And to be bold means to stand up and stand up for your faith in Jesus. It's, it's a very unique mix. And I, let me tell you, if, if we're living this out, being quiet and bold, you're going to be different in your workplace. People are going to notice that. People are going to notice that. It's not the norm. It's not usual. Are we really both quiet and bold? Something for you to reflect on. Third, are we different from all the others? Are we different? There's a lot of nuance in this question. You see, salt is not kept in a box to add flavors to meat. No, salt is taken out of the box and, and salt is really rubbed into the meat. It kind of is infused into the meat. You, you don't keep salt separate. You, you don't keep salt in a church on Sundays. Salt is out there in the world. Salt is totally buried into the dish. Salt is totally infused into the dish. It is, it is one with the dish in many ways, and yet it is still separate. Its flavor is very distinct. It, you know, we're called to be like that too. We're called to be in the world, not afraid to engage with the world, but we are not of the world. We don't lose our saltiness and become one with the world. No, we are in the world and we retain our saltiness. Are we different or are we just the same? We have to coexist in our culture. We have to collaborate in the culture that God has placed us in. Uh, But we must also lovingly confront it. We cannot confirm to the world around us. We cannot become like everybody else. And this, the best test, the best test to 
take stock of whether we are indeed being salt and light is this, what I'm about to share in the next two, three minutes. Um, it's a mistake to see this portion in isolation. Generally, this is what happens with very familiar uh, portions of the Bible. We just tend to pick that and forget what's before it, what's after it, because this is so popular. So salt and light is so popular, but we forget what is there before it. This is said in a context. And so let me read the verse from the passage in full context. I'm reading from verse 11 onwards. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. That's how this passage is to be read. So what Jesus is saying is Jesus is calling us to be the salt of the earth in the context of being persecuted. You will be persecuted for my name's sake, Jesus said, but be the salt of the earth. That's what is happening here. So the best test to check and assess if we are indeed being salt of the earth is are we being persecuted at work? Have you ever been persecuted because of your faith? I don't mean being thrown into jail and being beaten up for your faith. That's not what I mean. The persecution we face is far more subtle. You know, that that slight mock, I'm familiar with that, uh, that amused look, that, that condescending look that our colleagues give us when we talk about faith, right? That's the persecution. And our soul is so afraid it's so, we, we flinch at that. Are we not? Are we not afraid of this kind of persecution? This is far more subtle, but this is persecution still. So have you experienced persecution? Have you ever been unpopular at work because you've been public about your faith? Appropriately. I'm not, I'm not at all talking about being brazen about our faith. I'm not talking about, um, you know, uh, being inappropriate about talking about a faith. But when an opportunity presents us, when it's natural, hey, we talk about everything at work, do we not? Don't tell me you never speak anything about your personal lives. Don't tell me you speak about the weather. Don't tell me you speak about the, the match you watched last night. Don't tell me you, you don't speak about politics at work. Why is it that at work you can speak about everything else, but you can't speak about faith? That's what the culture would want us to believe. We are not going to confirm to that. We're going to confirm to how Jesus called us to leave. So have you been persecuted? Let me tell you, if you never, if we have never confronted anything that's wrong, bad, and decaying in our workplaces, we will never be persecuted. We will be persecuted only when we differ from the majority view. We will, if we have never been persecuted, it means we have completely confirmed, conformed to the world around us. Have you, have you ever been unpopular by, by pushing back on crazy 17, 18, 20 hour work days? Um, have you been unpopular ever by pushing on this demand that, that people work seven days a week, that everybody has a right to call everybody else on Sunday if there's work to be done and without even a uh, 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 hint of an apology without even saying I'm so sorry to disturb you on a Sunday but just call you and just assume you have to work on a Sunday have, have you ever pushed back on that have you ever pushed back 
um, by standing up respectfully to some edgy practices in your company, in your workplace, gray areas? Have, have you pushed back on that? This is a good test. Here's another good test. Right now, do you know about something? Are you aware of something that's really wrong and have said nothing about it? Do you know about a culture or a practice or something in your company or your business or your profession that is really, really wrong? And you've known that it's wrong in so many ways for such a long time, but you've said or done nothing about it then you're not being the salt. Hey, I'm not saying start a union in your office tomorrow. That's not at all what I'm saying. Uh, don't, you, don't, you don't have to go, don't, we don't have to go to that extreme. Hey, but let's, let's not just do nothing. Let's not just assume it's okay. That might be the normal practice in your company, but it's not okay. So we can't do nothing. We don't have to start a, a, a revolution, but we can't do nothing. That's a good test. If you've known something is wrong and you've been able to do nothing, or you've not even experienced a desire to do anything about it. Again, I don't want, to, I don't want us to feel crushed and I don't want us to feel intimidated. Oh, you know, it's, that's not what I want. Hey, I'm sure there's some small step. At the very least, a good conversation with another colleague saying, yeah, I've been seeing this practice I'm not sure if it's really healthy. I'm not sure if it's the best for the company in the long run. That's an act of defiance. That's being solved. At least that. Please begin with that. So those are three questions I, I wanted to reflect on to help us take stock. Are we really being salt and light? Uh, are we drawing out the good and confronting the bad in our line of work? Are we being both quiet and bold? And how are we different? Just one more thing, if, my, if I may add. I've been seeing a tendency um, in, in many of us, and, and I've experienced this tendency myself as well, to absolutize work, to make work the ultimate absolute, right? So what do I mean by that? It means that when your boss makes a demand, subconsciously we assume that's the ultimate absolute. Everything else is secondary. My, my kid has to wait for his or her need. Uh, my wife needs to be patient. My husband needs to be patient till I wrap this up. Or, or God can wait. Faith is secondary. Somewhere down the line, deep inside, subconsciously, we absolutize work. This could be because of fear, could be many reasons, but we absolute work is not the absolute. Work is not your career is not the center of your life. Your career is not the most important aspect of your identity. Your career is not what defines you. A core identity, the ultimate absolute, the only ultimate absolute in our lives is that we are children of God, redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. So do not allow the culture around you to lead you to absolutizing work. And that brings us to the third and the last thing that I'd like to draw for us from this passage. How can we grow in being salt and light? How do we grow in this? 
We've talked about a lot of things. And right now, I want to dive into the very heart, into the very heart of what it is to be salt and light. If you remember, we read a whole lot of verses. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then Jesus said all of these verses, and then he said, you are salt and light. So it's all interconnected. That's why we read the entire passage. So let me start unpacking each of those verses. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the workplace context, to be poor in spirit means to put our personal and often selfish ambitions aside to serve others. It means to think of the well-being of our colleagues and subordinates and suppliers and partners and teammates and bosses before we think about our own success. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. To mourn is to lament, to grieve everything that is wrong and broken and exploitative in the companies that we work for and in our professions. It means to mourn human greed. It means to lament self-centeredness. It means to lament exploitation. It means to lament our work cultures. It means to lament placing shareholder value, placing shareholder wealth about everything else, about about the well-being of employees, about the well-being of the ecology. It means to grieve everything that's wrong. Was by blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek means to not push ahead with our career growth only on the basis of our strength, our skill, our education, or just the brute force of our personality. It means to be gentle, patient, taking time to serve others before we get ahead in God's plans uh, in time for our own career growth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. To hunger for righteousness is to stand up and do the right thing, even if it is if it is at great cost to ourselves, or even if it makes us unpopular. This is what it means to be salt and light wherever God has placed us. This is such a high calling. And this is such a hard calling. Oh, it is not easy. I've worked and I continue to work. I've worked as a journalist for 25 years. I continue to work. Oh, this is not easy. It's not easy for any of us. In fact, in fact, Jesus was the only man to ever have lived fully like this. Jesus is the only man who was truly salt and light in the fullness of, of the meaning being salt and light includes. So if this is such a high calling, if this is such a hard calling, how do we find the strength and the faith and the courage and the grace to live and work like this? How can we grow in being salt and light? The answer lies in the salt. 
I haven't yet shared the full meaning of what it means to be salt. We don't get it in our culture. But when Jesus told you are the salt to the people he spoke to at that point in time, they absolutely got it. They got what Jesus was saying. And here's what Jesus, I'm sure, included in Jesus' meaning of the word salt. Apart from being a flavoring agent and apart from being a preservative, the people of God, the Jews, use salt for another very important purpose. Salt had a big role in their lives. And when Jesus said, you're the salt, this meaning would have immediately popped up. Here's what I'm getting at. When God gave Israelites the law through Moses, and when he instituted animal sacrifices to atone for the sins of people as a pointer, not that the animal sacrifices achieved anything, but those animal sacrifices were a pointer to the sacrifice, to the ultimate sacrifice that God himself would make to atone for the sins of men. This is not men sacrificing animals. This is God himself sacrificing his son, Christ Jesus. So when God instituted the animal sacrifices through the law from the time of Moses, he commanded them that the Jews had to season all the offerings and sacrifices with salt. Every single animal that was slaughtered and brought into the altar as a sacrifice of atonement had to be seasoned with salt. Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13, Leviticus, the book in the Old Testament, God commanding the people, he called, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God, the salt of the covenant with your God to be missing from your grain offering with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. So when an animal was sacrificed, its meat was to be seasoned with salt before it was presented as a sacrifice as an off- and as an offering to the Lord. So when Jesus said, be the salt, it would have immediately reminded the disciples of the salt of the sacrifice. And so there are two ways in which this empowers us to live as Jesus did. First, salt reminds us of the ultimate sacrifice. As we think of Christ Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, we are empowered slowly, little by little, day by day, to live as Jesus did. When we remember that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, dying for our sins so that we could be forgiven and accepted, we are changed. It changes you inside. You may not feel that way at times. Uh, we, We all mess up at times. You are changed if you believe in Jesus. So salt reminds us of the ultimate sacrifice. Second, salt reminds us of the everlasting covenant that God's made with us. Leviticus 2.13, you shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing. So salt is a symbol of the covenant. Having the salt in the covenant reminded the Jews that this was an everlasting covenant. The salt signified the longevity of the covenant. See, salt never goes bad. And salt was part of the covenant to remind the people that God is going to honor this covenant. This is a long covenant. This is an everlasting covenant. God's covenant with us in Christ Jesus 
is an everlasting covenant. He is absolutely committed to our transformation. We may take time to change. We may be slow to grow. We may keep going back to the same sin patterns over and over and over again. But God is absolutely committed to making us to be the salt and light. He's absolutely committed to our transformation. Our commitment to him may be weak, but his commitment to us is strong and enduring. We may never be able to live like Jesus did, but God is absolutely committed to helping us grow in Christ-likeness every single day. We can live like what Jesus taught. We, we, can, we can live like what Jesus taught and lived, not in our strength, but his. We can all grow in being salt and light if we're willing to believe in Jesus and depend on him more and more day by day. Let us pray. Father, we pray for your grace. We pray for your grace, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord, grow in the grace of really looking at you, Lord Jesus, and being changed inside out, that change being visible to the world outside. Help us to be more, like more and more salt and light here on earth. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.